especially with the junior players I'm starting to work with now, and also the team too. It's you know, I this this day sucked, and you can be mad about it, but let's get over it and let's close the gaps. What what went wrong? Was it driving, swing mechanics, execution, course management? Let's let's or just short game. You got up and down forty percent of the time. That's not going to work. Let's go chip. Uh, so I think first it's, you know, it's all right to be emotional. I'm not naive to say you won't be pissed after a bad round. You certainly will be, and you should if you care. If you're not, then you don't care enough. But what you do with that anchor and how it motivates you is the key to a champion. Today we are joined by Daniel Booker. Daniel Booker is the assistant golf coach at Belmont University and a teaching instructor at Golf House Tennessee. Prior to that, he played at Belmont where he both started strong and ended strong. As a freshman, he received the Ohio Valley Conference Freshman of the Year Award and in his final season, finished with four top 10s and seven top 20s. Let's start with your junior career. Walk us through your junior progression. Like, what kind of player were you? Uh, how good were you? And how did you kind of look at the game? Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Dyersburg, Tennessee. And in the particular area that I grew up in, uh, there wasn't much of a junior golf presence. Uh, tours I played on was just uh, what's now called the SNETS Tour, the TGA Junior Golf Tour that we have here in the state of Tennessee. Uh, then played in uh, several AJGAs as well. So I was kind of bounced around those tours, getting my tournament experience, playing, uh, played some pretty good golf, had a couple of summers that played pretty well. I think my best summer had probably, it's been so long ago, four or five victories, which I shot anywhere from 67 to uh, at a high 74 that summer on that particular tour. So had a pretty good summer, which helped me get recruited. Uh, that was a uh, summer between my junior and senior year. Um, High school golf was a four-time state qualifier, made it individually uh, every time. Um, and like I said, junior golf in Dyer County at the time I was there, I was pretty much the only kid practicing and playing at the local uh, country club there. So I um, had a lot of alone time working on the game myself. I'd go every day after school until dark. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of the – uh, the journey up into Belmont. Uh, so I just play on SNES tour, AJGAs, all the local state open uh, qualifiers, all that type of stuff, state AM, state junior AM, all of our state events that the TGA puts on. So, so when you came into college, you pretty much got right into it. You, you were the OVC freshman of the year. Can you speak a little bit about that transition and what allowed you to play so well right out of the gate? So I think what allowed me to play so well is just I just loved being there, and I loved being part of a team of eight, nine, or ten guys, however many we had at the time, that could all play golf. Uh, like, uh, as I already stated, my junior golf in the area of Dyersburg wasn't that strong. I traveled to Memphis and Nashville to play against pretty good juniors there. So I didn't have much of a team to be surrounded by or just other juniors to compete against. And so once I got to Belmont, was surrounded by a team of, really good golfers and uh current tour players now um i was just i was just happy to be around good players and soak up as much information and learn as much about the game at the next level that i could um 
And so really just just excited to play. And I think that's when I had a great first year is I wasn't nervous. I was just excited to be there and was learning as much as I could um, and practice as hard as I can. And I think that's why I had a pretty good successful uh, transition into college and, you know, just going from being the best player on your high school team for four years in a row to go to being maybe not even making the top five in uh, on your college team which I thankfully was in the top five pretty much the whole first year, but uh, just gave me uh, kind of that next hurdle, if you will, to chase after, chase after these better players on not on first off my team. And then obviously all the other better players in the conference. So it's just that elevation to a higher standard of golf. And I loved it. I loved making that transition into that. That is cool. I have two questions. One, just starting with your recruitment process, how did you get on Belmont's radar and what other colleges were on your radar or were looking at you? Yeah, so recruitment process, I started off sending the, uh, I forget which year I was in high school, but the the recruitment email to 50 plus college coaches or whatnot, which then funneled down to some some conversations and some unofficial visits at, at various uh, institutions. I probably, when it came down to it, I was looking at about five five schools, and Belmont was one of them. Um, shortly after I won my last tournament that summer, uh, between my junior and senior year, got a got a call from Coach Flynn, and uh, the tournament was just outside Nashville, so it was pretty good timing. So I came over, visited Belmont, and immediately fell in love with the with the place and committed that night. So kind of my recruitment to Belmont was happened pretty quickly. Um, I was looking that particular weekend to really decide and nail down which of those five schools I was wanting to go to. And so as soon as I got to Belmont, I just thought the Lord was saying, this is where you're going to be and probably going to be here for a while. It's shaping up to be that way. All, all too true. Speaking all too of, true. What other schools were you looking at? Um, you said there are about five on your radar. What were the other four? Yeah, I was looking at uh, UT Martin was a pretty good consideration. I had some conversations with Austin P. Uh, had some co- good conversations with uh, Louisiana Tech, uh, and then pretty good uh, academic school in Jackson, Tennessee, Union University, um, which they were. Uh, I, I'm not sure what uh, which division they are in golf now, but I think they were like Division Two at the time. I was talking to them, so, um, but yeah, so just a handful of schools that. Uh, I was seriously considering. I was looking at, um, I had conversations with probably about 10 total schools, but when my dad looks at him and says, we spend all your money on golf tournaments, you need to find somewhere where you can get some pretty good scholarship money. That became the main focus. Mm-hmm. That is cool. And one of the things I was noticing when I was looking, kind of you take your junior record, uh, what you played in, I feel like, you kind of you kind of flew under the radar, and I'm not saying that to flatter you, uh, because I knew you. Obviously, we were roommates and teammates in college, and I knew about you. Had played with you some in college, the little that uh, I was functional. And now looking back at your resume, it doesn't surprise me that much that you came in and played well. You look at it in 2013, you played two Sneds Tours events, one one. 2014, played nine Sneds Tour events. One five, and those aren't obviously the same levels AJGA per se, but they got a lot of good players in them. And then on top of that, you played in the US JGT in 2014. I think Hunter Wolcott Wolcott finished one in that event, and uh, 
Braden Thornberry finished too. And then you also played in the Bubba. So those are some, those are some big events to play in. Kind of tell us like you play in some of these SNEDS tours events and then you go play in the Bubba, which is a well-known event. You play in that, uh, us JGT, uh, tournament of champions. What's the difference in the environment and what was the, did you feel any different going into those? Uh, you know, to, I like to say golf's golf and you just play each golf course as they come, but you know, when it's a bigger tournament, what's a smaller tournament. So thinking that we kind of go and dive into some coaching and teaching philosophy, if you will. I mean, golf is golf. You've got to hit the fairway, got to hit the green, you got to make the putts. So I always try to, whatever tournament it is, whether it's just, well, really, if I'm just playing against my best friends at home or trying to play in a, in a high caliber golf tournament, it's trying to take in the same approach, the same routine, the same process, um, into really any shot of golf that you play. Now, the difference in the bigger tournaments and the smaller tournaments is really everything that, you know, the bigger tournaments are more on social media. They got nicer uh, tents at the number one. They got nicer snacks and tea gifts and whatever. But when it comes down to it, the golf is golf. Uh, playing against, you know, more high caliber players in the bigger tournaments, but you're also playing against the golf course there. So, um, you know, I just try my best to, to, take each shot as they come and do it the same way every time. Cause that's how you get the consistent results, uh, no matter what, where you're playing. So as you were talking earlier about how you, uh, kind of sense that you'd be at Belmont for a long time, you've been the assistant coach there for three years. Just tell us a little bit about that transition and, um, how you've liked coaching. So I've loved, I've loved it. Um, uh, so as soon as I graduated that summer, I was asked, uh, I was very fortunate to be asked to be a part of the coaching staff there at Belmont. It's been there three years now, and um, it's a very unique transition as it went from most, uh, they were my teammates, to now they're my players. So, uh, which also put me in a very unique situation uh, that I know how those guys work. I, I know when to step in and push them on the golf course and went to lay back and just let them do their things. I think that's because I had spent three, four years with each of them. So I understood the personalities really well. And like I said, when to push and when to back off, I understood their games as I was just playing alongside of them the year before. So uh, I definitely got a much more unique perspective uh, and relationships with the team as opposed to if I just went somewhere else where I didn't know any of the guys uh, at all. So Really enjoyed it. Is uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's been a learning curve going from playing to coaching, uh, but it's definitely I've become a much better student of the game and kind of understand and see the game in a different way than when I was just playing. Because you know, flipping to the coaching side, you're really looking at course management strategies. You know, how can we get five guys playing their best golf on each given week, and which five guys going to be playing their best golf? And when you got eight, nine guys on our team who are all pretty good golfers how do you choose you know what who's going to play good golf that week because after all it's golf so it's been very um it's been a very fun ride making the transition and i'm starting to feel really comfortable in a coaching role and you know obviously the head coach scott flynn who just uh, won uh, one of the highest honors you can win for a, a collegiate golf coach he's been a fantastic mentor of mine and being around him for seven going on eight years i've learned a lot from him so I know in addition to the college coaching job, you also are giving swing lessons. Um, so how are those two jobs different and what do you learn um, from each? 
Yeah, so the position I'm in is kind of, again, a unique position uh, that I feel very blessed to be in is uh, I teach at Golf House Tennessee, which is the uh, home of golf in the state of Tennessee that houses the TGA and the Tennessee Section PGA, PGA as well as the Tennessee Golf Foundation. So our mission at that facility is to grow the game of golf, specifically with juniors or veterans and disadvantaged players. So on the grounds of Golf House, we filter literally thousands of kids uh, in and off the facility each year in which we host uh, clinics, summer leagues, uh, fall, spring leagues, summer camps. Um, So I've had the opportunity to teach a four-year-old how to hold a golf club to obviously working with uh, really advanced players at the Division I level. So as I've kind of gotten a pretty good overall concept of working with tons of different players i think my age range now is a four-year-old and my oldest was an 83 year old so uh it's taught me a lot because you know a division one player or an 80 year old can't swing like that so how do you build a golf swing for an 80 year old and then how do you uh an hour later go coach you know your division one golfer so it's a it's a very unique and fun uh position i'm in right now That is that is unique. And one thing I wanted to jump back to was your college career. So we talked about how you came out out of the gate uh, pretty hot. And then you look at um, stats I have next. So you had OVC freshman year, two top 10 finishes freshman year, two top 20 finishes sophomore year, four top 20 junior year, and then three top 10 or seven top 20 finishes your senior year. So from the outsider perspective, it looks like you came in hot and then maybe you hit a plateau. Maybe things weren't moving that fast. And then you finished off on a real strong note with some great improvement. Is is that the case? And also, how do you think that how – how what was going on behind the scenes there? Yeah, so uh, just kind of recap that. had a good – Good freshman year, kind of uh, just real plateaued off a couple years and ended up finishing my college experience on a pretty good, consistent high note. Um, I was fortunate enough to be on a couple record teams at Belmont, which we shot the lowest score relative to the par and also the lowest total stroke score. So we've had won numerous events and had uh, uh, probably three good runs at winning a conference championship, which came down to the last one to two holes each time. Uh, so, uh, had a lot of success, uh, I think freshman year, I think what my success came from that was, again, I was just happy to be there and just playing golf and having fun. Uh, and then for those of my teammates that know me, that knew I had a uh, hellacious hook that I knew how to play. So anyway, right, hook it back in play. And, uh, I knew where it was going. I could predict it. Uh, but there was a swing mechanical error that needed to be addressed at some point. And uh, talking with the head coach, at, uh, at my head coach at the time, Scott Flynn, we just sat down and said, hey, I'm going to plateau. I may have already hit the plateau with how, what kind of scores I can shoot with the swing that I'm swinging. So I went through a period of a swing change, um, which basically negates 12 years of the way I used to swing, really far underneath, save it with the hands and just beat balls to my hands, bleed to get understand how that timing works in order to hit a good golf shot. So as you're saying – uh, you had this hellacious hook. Yeah. Yeah, so we just finally decided we need to get that fixed in order to go above the ceiling of which the swing is going to create for me. Um, so went on the process, just uh, 
forming new good habits and trying to uh, get the bad habits out of the golf swing and kind of the old adage that says 10,000 reps make uh, forms a new habit. That was kind of the journey I started on. Um, so on just a pure golf, um, golf mechanic wise, I just needed a better golf swing. I need to get my swing a whole lot more neutral so I didn't have to rely on timing so much. And so I could add more shots to the equation and be able to hit higher, lower, left to right, right to left, more on command rather than just a hit and hope. Um, and I think what had happened my second year is I did approach my freshman year as, Hey, let's just go have a great time and play golf. Whatever happens, happens. I'm just excited to be here. So now I did win some conference awards and had a good year. Second year comes in. It's like, all right, now I've got expectations on my shoulders and I'm, I need to prove myself for some reason. So I do think uh, there was a mental mm-hmm. mindset that had changed that I don't ever think I realized that that's how my thinking was, but I do think that's what probably hindered me as well as some golf swing mechanics. That makes sense. So let's take that, that pressure that you felt. Um, did you feel that like when we were playing golf, as we talked about the bubble, you feel pressure in these big events for what it's worth, just because you know, it's a bigger event, whether it means anything or not. When you're playing these college events, Cooper and I have talked about this and it also happens not just in college events, but in junior events, you have a bad day. You're, you don't even have a bad day. You play a bad round of golf and you have a bad day and the, the food doesn't taste as good. Uh, sleep doesn't feel as good. Nothing feels as good. What is now that you're a coach, you see that in players. What was it like as a player? What is it like seeing that in your players? And then now as you're starting to play in some events yourself, how do you look at that? Yeah, it's all perspective, right? And you know, I think it, that's crucial to, to remember is that we're just, we're playing a game of golf and we shoot 76, you know, there's, more going on in the world right so keeping a healthy perspective but when you are playing division one college golf and you're doing it at a minimum 20 hours a week and traveling tournaments want to make the team and win tournaments and play well and make mama and daddy proud and all that type of stuff it can tend to get overwhelming and you live and die by the three footers that you make or don't make Uh, and that's an exhausting way to play the game so that's uh, i'm saying on perspective just uh you know Put it in perspective, it isn't going to make the 80 you just shot feel any better, but it's going to, what it's going to do is it's going to provide you a much more healthy way to cope and deal with it. So when you look at what you just shot and you figure out, you figure out what gaps you need to close and you go create a practice plan and you go uh, close those gaps rather than just shooting a bad score, being ticked about it, go home and pout and just hope you play better tomorrow. Um, so I think that's finding the gaps creating a specific practice plan to close those gaps and then executing that plan. Um, and then all of a sudden your, your bad rounds start getting a lot lower because you're closing in gaps in a very systematic and, and uh, a good way. We've touched on a lot of aspects of the game, but this is one that's really important for college golfers playing 36 whole days and spending a lot of time on the road. Do you guys have a system that you guys use for nutrition um, or something that you found that really works to keep you all going through those long days? Yeah, so that's just controlling what you can control, right? You know, we're we're student athletes. We also have school comes first, especially at Belmont. We place, place high importance on academics. So that's just having your stuff together, man. If, if You don't want to be stressing about 
you know, a paper due at nine o'clock while it's seven o'clock and you got to finish the last hole in the dark. Right. So that's, that's, that's being proactive, getting on top of your studies, making sure everything's done when it needs to be done. And I was going to sleep Friday night, you know, at a respectful hour. Right, if we're leaving Saturday to go play in a tournament, because it's not the next day that's going to mess you up. It's two days after you done fatigued yourself Friday night. So it's having the discipline to just to take care of what you can control. Um, and that's that's proper sleep, that's proper health, that's eating right. We do have a uh, fortunate enough to have a full time nutritionist at Belmont. So any nutrition questions we may have, we're you know, she's more than available to help us out there, and she's been a really good asset on the nutrition side. But you know, then it's just a little things. Have granola bars in your bag on a thirty six hole day. Don't eat frosted flakes for breakfast and then be starving by one o'clock and graze on a terrible turkey sandwich that we get at the turn uh you know it's it's eating every two to three holes staying hydrated and hydration starts the night all, all that good stuff and that's what i call controlling the controllables so you have 100 percent control over all that and that's what's going to help i mean that's what all you that's what's the difference in the top guys and the bottom guys that's part of it the top guys got their life under control whereas the 50th player in the field is oversleeping for his tea time and grabbing a box of cheerios and just winging it essentially he's he's not preparing his body and mind to play good high quality golf that makes sense and speaking of i know in college you were um majored in fitness i believe and have also done some work in that area can you kind of tell us one uh coming up the week of a tournament what does the workout regimen look like relative to normal and then like day of the tournament tournament what do you guys do to get your body ready just go out on the range cold hit golf balls and warm up the all all natural way or is there something uh different you guys do or that you'd recommend yeah so first off i think if you're a junior golfer uh or any golfer in general this 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 is a sport now you to be a tournament caliber high quality golfer you got to hit the golf ball far you got to be in shape and you have to be an athlete um so that's just this day and age we live in with the game it's, it's, it rewards distance and uh, being athletic uh, particularly at belmont we work out three days a week tournament weeks the workouts transition or really just tournament season because our season's so uh, congested that we switch to a lot of mobility injury prevention exercises just making sure our muscles are firing and our body feels good uh, there is a minimum weightlifting, uh, but it's all basically structural movements and uh, mobility, all that good stuff. Uh, day of tournaments, uh, that's one thing I bought into a lot when I got to college was as a junior golfer, I'd just go straight into a nine iron, start hitting golf balls, warming up. But like I said, these are athletic motions. We're swinging hard at the golf ball now, so that means you're even more prone to injury. So uh, I believe a good 10 to 15 minute stretching session uh dynamic stretching session where it's active workouts you're getting your glutes firing getting your core activated uh shoulders loosened up all that all that good stuff before you even start hitting golf balls uh, in my own personal golf now i sometimes just skip hitting golf balls and just stretch if i'm if i'm uh, my tee time is time sensitive because i just think it's uh more important to get your body firing and healthy and working up uh, and then you, your tournament prep is ready you're ready hit golf balls you just gotta get your body ready that's all a warm-up session really is if you're trying to find a golf swing 15 minutes before you tee off then we've got more issues to deal with very true i can attest (laughs) to that um 
So since you were a uh, college player for four years and been a a college coach for three years, what do you think the biggest, um, not problem with college golfers, but the one thing that bugs a lot of college golfers or brings them down? One thing that college golfers do that's not necessarily good for their game, is that that what you're asking? Uh, Thinking all their coaches are idiots. (laughs) Thing as a, a you, you see a group group of coaches on a tee box at a college tournament, you guarantee they're saying all their players think they're idiots. So there are some good coaches out there that uh, um, that uh, don't necessarily see eye to eye with their coaches. But yeah, that's that's a good running coaches joke we have. What I, what I think that brings a lot of college golfers down in general is just again what's in between their ears. Um, is there some some stuff they need to work on in their golf game? Absolutely, we all need to work fill some gaps in the game, but. Uh, again, going reference back to those handful of players, the reason they excel is because they basically master their mental, the mental side of it. And the mental side transcends into golf mechanics too. It's, you know, uh, what I, what I see a lot of college golfers doing when they're practicing, they're just practicing to say they're practicing. You know, I, I like to, with my junior players, coach them into intentional practice. I think an hour of intentional practice beats three hours of just chipping around the green with really not really with no purpose right so uh and that starts in your head you got to have the discipline to write out what you're going to do how you're going to do it how long you're going to do it and then actually go execute it and then all of a sudden your golf game is pretty good because you're mentally sharp and how to plan and work the plan and then that turns into on course as well controlling your emotions sticking to routines and process and all that good stuff so the best college players that i've seen so far are the ones who buy into the mental aspect of the game which does transcend into the mechanics as well Taking what you just said right there, are there any mental coaches that you've talked with or met, um, and have they provided you insight? And outside of just mental coaches, who's provided you the most insight into the mental game, and what really did that show you? Yeah, so I, I like to read, so I've read a lot of different books from various authors on the mental game and understanding the mental process. Just uh, like regarding specifically putting, Dave Stockton books, I, I really enjoyed. I think there's some good quality information. Uh, we, as a team at Belmont, at one point we got a chance to work with a mental coach and had a couple uh, guest speakers come and speak with us and uh, take some nuggets of information from them, combine them all. But the most positive influence I had was our head coach and well, current head coach Scott Flynn. He's he's been around the game his whole life, done it all, seen it all, talked with all the best players, coaches you can think of. He's probably had a conversation with and. He's boiled that down uh, to a very good understanding of how to develop a good, solid process for the mental game that really resonated with me and that I take you know notes from him and then give that to my players. So the way I approach the mental game is just nuggets of information from all the books that I've read and people that I've talked to, good players that I've talked to, bad players that I've talked to, take notes on what you don't want to do, um, and just kind of combine that into just a very simple, easy, repetitive process. And I think there's three processes that every player does, whether they call it a process or not, pre-shot routine, during the shot, and post-shot. Um, and just, just buying into that and doing that on every shot, all of a sudden the little things add up and the game starts to develop. Kind of speaking on that, what is your – if you think back to a time you're playing well, what is your – self-talk look like and what do you think 
a self-talk should look like during a round of golf? Yeah. So, I mean, just got most golfers are their own worst enemy, right? How many times have we told our own selves we suck or what the hell were you thinking or why'd you do that? Right. So we're, we're as golfers as a whole, uh, we're very self-demeaning and that's very easy to do in this game because this game is designed to beat you up. Uh, but you got to get past it. Like I said, I'm not naive enough to think you're not going to be pissed after a bad shot or having a lead and blowing it OB and wanting to shed a few tears. That's perfectly normal. But it's how you come back from that is what the difference maker is. Flare a shot into the right rough when you know you're just going to be short-sighted. You're like, well, that was stupid. But don't truly like, – you can say it, but it, it's the difference between saying it and believing it. Or just don't say it at all. You know, there's uh, – I told one junior of mine that you can only smile after a bad shot because we're not going to go down that road with them. Um, but it's having the the worst memory going into the next shot, completely forgetting about it and moving on. So I try to stay pretty positive in my own game. Um, back when I was younger, I thought I was doing good with, with anger control issues on the golf course, and I would just wouldn't say anything, but I'd bottle, bottle it up, and you just see smoke coming out of my ears, and I was still taking it to the next shot, even though I wouldn't say anything or throw any clubs. So it's, it's just legit. It's hard to be – mad after a bad shot it's perfectly normal it means you care but you got to forget about it you know i think tiger in an interview one time had the 10 step rule that he told us after 10 steps he's forgotten about it um i used to carry a rubber band on my wrist and as soon as i get mad at a shot and it got into self-demeaning i just snapped the hell out of my wrist and that was a a painful signal to get my shit together pretty much i think daniel's witnessed uh me uh let's say ex- exhibit the um, bottling up behavior. <laughs> He's been on the bag for me a few times. I could, well, just, I think I've probably told you this one, um, but I can remember Caddy, the, be- the best one I've had, Cooper's gotten mad a few times. Uh, and the best part is we've stayed friends through mm-hmm. it all. Uh, sometime we'll have to tell the more detailed story, but we were playing <laughs> uh, Pinehurst. Um, I think number it was number eight. eight. Yep, for the north-south qualifier, and we were in. Can, this this is actually something that goes to tournament prep and also handling yourself on the course. I think we got to hole number fourteen. Uh, had just three putted a was hole. Our, it was our fourteenth hole because we started on ten. Okay, we it was our fourteenth so hole. Five. Had just three putted a hole. I think two holes prior, and we were we were in the hunt. Uh, for qualifying, we knew. I think we were one under at that time, or one over. It was, we knew it was going to take either two under to one over, and I think I was around mm-hmm. even par. Um, and I think I three putted to get to one over. Yeah, so we so we're feeling a little bit of the heat, and we get up to this par five, and Cooper's hit uh, a very solid drive. We're out in the middle, and we get up there, and we're looking at our yardage book, and he asks, "Okay, uh, what should we do here?" And not having played uh, a great practice around the course and not having really thought through the top-down view of it, he we say, you know, we should advance the ball as far as possible. So he hits hybrid um, because that was the thing that could keep that would keep us out of trouble, but still get it up as far as possible. Dead into the bunker. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 60 yards yard, short of the green. Yeah, about a 50-yard bunker shot that I actually hit. <laughs> I didn't hit it good. I dumped that into the front bunker uh, to a back pin, then dumped that out to the front and three-putter mm. for double. Tournament was over. Um, 
not and a so, fun uh, rest of the day. And we still got holes left, so we know we're pretty much out of it. We still got holes left. He's put, and you can t- see him internally. He's pushing on the gas. He is upset, uh, and he's trying to make whatever he can happen out of this. Uh, didn't happen. We get back to the hotel, and we have a night there. It's like six o'clock at night or something, and it we know been, it would have been a, a really seven hour drive night. home. And he said, um, he's like, we're going home. Like, Dude, we have this hotel for a night. We're staying here for tonight. We need to rest. He's like, I'm going home. You're either, you're, you, <laughs> I'm going home. You're either with this me or you're not with me. And yeah. that, that's my ride right there. <laughs> so we drove home for seven hours in complete silence. Yeah. The only thing that was said was, we drove we drove through an Arby's and he asked if I wanted food and I was so mad that I just didn't, didn't say, say a word anything. and I was not eating. Uh, I starved myself that night. When you go into a tournament and you know you're not going to have necessarily your best stuff, you're not necessarily feeling like you're going to have the best stuff because weather's been, weather's been holding mm-hmm. you back, etc. What did you do to kind of handle not just those expectations but um, – what happens on the course to manage manage yeah. that? So I think any good caliber player needs a backup plan. What I mean by that, a feel they have in their golf swing where if they're not feeling like their swing, their timing, tempo, whatever, is just a little off, what are they going to resort to to get that ball around the golf course? Because it doesn't have to look pretty or feel pretty. You just got to get the ball in front of you and get it moving. So like for me, I've always fought a hook. And so if if I and then the hook becomes a big push push fade so a two way miss if I start missing the golf ball right it used to be game over because I used to rely on timing so much and I just couldn't feel it now as as I mentioned previously with the swing change and whatnot if I'm going to a tournament that had a bad practice session the the day before swing's just not feeling right still isn't on the drive range the next morning I resort I resort back to that feel that I create that 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 gives me some sort of consistent result. And for me, that's just a slight cut feel because that's going to neutralize my club path, neutralize my club face. I hate feeling the cut feel because I can only see a draw, but it's the feel I have to get my swing in a playable position uh, to be able to play at least decent golf that day. And uh, when it comes to well-rounded game, no matter how you're hitting it or how you're feeling with your tempo or full swing, you got to have a bulletproof short game that'll get you through that. So um, there's, I'm sure there's been some tournaments won on, uh, on less than stellar iron play and driver games. But what got those players through was the short game wedges and I'm probably making a few putts. Something I was going to ask you about, I don't know how many uh, tournaments you all play um, north of Tennessee, but I know that you guys prepare and practice on Bermuda grass. Um, If you guys are ever going to play a tournament on rye or, or bluegrass, how do you guys are bent? How do you guys prepare for that? Uh, it's a good question. So, as you know, we, we've had the, in the rotation of the courses, we play some bent grass greens. Now, being in the south, the summers are getting hotter. Those are starting to go away, so we don't have that luxury to have as much bent grass to practice on. So, uh, we still have, I believe, one course in our rotation that has bent grass. So, if we know we're going to a club in the mountains that has bent grass greens, we'll probably do most of our qualifying on that golf course. Um, if we know we're going to have, in you know, the courses, uh, much more like I call it tournament style golf course, really big, really open golf course. Uh, we'll play on the golf course similar to that that we have in our rotation here in Belmont. Uh, if it's going to be shorter and tighter style with a lot of OB, we'll go play at another course primarily. 
Now, as far as the type of grasses, uh, uh, we don't have a, a greenery or anything like that where we can change over to rye or whatever. So I think most of these guys have played enough tournament golf in their day leading up to uh, throughout junior golf that they've experienced most types of grasses. So um, and they should know what to expect. And if they don't, we'll talk through on how to play off, you know, firm tight lod, Texas or or sandy lies in Florida, whatever the case may be. Uh, we can talk about how to adjust your swing, your point of impact, short game shots with pitch shots, whether you need high bounce, low bounce, what kind of grind you need on your wedges to accommodate the type of sore you'll be on. So we can have those conversations, but as you're getting reps in, you know, that's that's an uncontrollable. We don't have that option, so uh, we don't focus on that. Focus on what you, we can control. Speaking of uh, equipment, had a question regarding how you – view equipment now as in junior golf and college golf a lot of time we're resources constrained we got 14 clubs pretty much and those are the 14 clubs we have in the bag and we don't know enough and haven't seen enough to really make any changes to those going into a tournament now that you're older you're a coach you've seen some of this stuff what would you recommend to juniors as far as what to be thinking about what's in their bag before before the tournament then going into the tournament what should they be thinking about so you talked about you know which clubs to take to the tournament as far as you know what to put hybrids or driving irons or your wedge gaps and things of that nature exactly. so i mean it within 120 30 yards which is most 130 yards probably typical pitching wedge or maybe up to 140 for some some longer players you got to have your wedge gaps figured out in those. You got to have three distances with uh, each each wedge you have. You got three, you can have four, and just have all that dialed in before you go to your golf tournament. Uh, then obviously you're gonna have your irons, your driver, three wood. Uh, for me, when I look at a golf course, I look at do I need more of a fairway finder, which would be my driving iron, kind of shorter, tighter course, and be hitting that off the tee. Whereas the uh, or a lot of the par fives reachable, but they got 240, 250, 260. So if a missile driving iron is going into those par fives, it's not going to hold the green. So that particular golf course, I'll throw a hybrid, which give me a little bit more loft and spin to hopefully hold the par five greens. Uh, so that's the kind of things we look at in practice rounds for each of our players that, you know, that have driving irons or hybrids or whatever. Um, and then we have uh, the opportunity to have track man. So as far as wedge distances and wedge gaps, uh, our players can use those uh, to, to, to dial in the wedges. And I, I think everybody needs to, you know, there's any combination under the sun of what people have 60, 54, 48 and standard pitching wedge or, 52, 56, 60, 58, it doesn't matter. You just need to have, you just got to hone in your distances with each wedge and have that confidence that, you know, how far they're going and uh, all that good stuff. Um, for junior golfers and college golfers, I think it's, you're obviously playing high level golf if you're winning tournaments and playing college golf. So you need to get fit. I think that's the biggest piece of advice. Find you a good club fitter and make sure your equipment is best suiting your golf swing. Um, you know, I've benefited greatly from switching to the irons that I have now. Getting in the shaft that I have and the head lowered my ball flight, and I'm able to control my distances and flight my shots a whole lot better than I wasn't able to previously do. Uh, so I, just, I think getting uh, getting fit for your clubs also gives you peace of mind, so you know exactly what you're working with. That makes sense. Well, I think that covers really everything that uh, we were thinking about. The biggest thing, though. Um, is our last question. We asked every guest the same last question, and that is, now that you've gotten to where you are, you kind of have the keys to the kingdom. 
or at least ostensibly you should know more about golf than you did when you were a junior. If you go back to yourself as a junior and tell yourself just one thing to get yourself to play better tournament golf, what would that one thing be? One thing to tell my younger self. I think I'd tell myself to find a really good golf coach and get to him sooner. So I didn't have to make the swing change I had to make a little later on uh, in my career in college. I think if I could have gotten those habits more neutralized early on, then the ceiling of my game could have been a whole lot higher as I've grown up over the course of the last 10 years or so. So um, better technique, focus more on your technique, I think is what I tell myself. Thanks for joining us today. Please do us a big favor and like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts so we can help others learn how to play better tournament golf. You can find us online at thetournamentcode.com, on Instagram at thetournamentcode, and on Twitter at tournamentcode. As always, feel free to reach out to us at those places or email us at daniel at thetournamentcode.com and cooper at thetournamentcode.com. We hope you join us as we continue to dive deeper into what it takes to play elite tournament golf.